2: Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O
0: dot com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking.
1: Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, how can you just leave me standing alone in a world that's so cold? I'm Jonathan
0: Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum.
2: And I'm Joe McCormick. And today, we're going to be peering up into the skies with horror. Yes, a trepidation. With
1: anxiety. <laughs>
2: Why would we do that?
1: Well, uh, we're, we decided to revisit a topic we've talked about previously. So back in August 2013, we released an episode titled, It's Coming Right For Us. <laughs> and uh, that was about the dangers of space objects colliding with Earth, like asteroids and meteors and and comets and that kind of stuff. And so we large ex-
2: pianos,
0: <laughs> very large icy pianos. Yeah. Really, yes.
1: just the majority of items that you can find in the Acme uh, catalog. Oh uh-huh. right, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. Wiley Coyote would get. Uh-huh. Um, but we explored the potential options of what we might do to deal with an oncoming. Space object. We were specifically uh, looking into things like the scenarios of deep impact and Armageddon. Would that? Do d- d- the answers there make sense? And uh, specifically with Armageddon, the answer is heck no. Nope. Don't blow it up. Dude. It makes it worse. Oh yeah.
2: Do you? Uh, was do you remember? Was this the episode where I talked about the old movie, The Day the Sky Exploded? It may very well have been.
1: I honestly <laughs> did not go back and listen to the episode. So, Me neither. Uh, so. I want to say yes. Listeners can let us know if we're wrong. But uh, we wanted to talk a little bit more about this today because uh, I recently actually looked into an organization that is dedicated to discovering and ultimately uh, deflecting space objects that are on a collision course with Earth. I had not heard of them before, which is odd. Or if I had, I don't remember it. Uh, (laughs) Which is
2: odd. You've heard of everything.
1: Well, I mean, which is odd because we specifically researched this topic yeah. and yeah, our well, research tends to be fairly exhaustive.
0: Uh, sure. It was also a couple of years ago, though. And, you know, maybe they hadn't had something big come out in a couple years yeah. or something like that. But yes. So part two of our. Hey, scary stuff could fall on us.
1: Right. So to refresh you about why is it scary that stuff could fall on us? Uh, collisions happen, right? Big stuff from space has collided. With Earth in the past,
0: uh, and it doesn't even have to be really big stuff. It can be relatively small stuff,
1: right? Because it could be moving wicked fast. This and, is
2: a, uh, a result of relativity.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's basic physics. Even if we don't even have to get into full relativity to understand that uh, that force is mass times true. acceleration, yeah. right? So if you're if you're moving at a really uh, high velocity, which is not acceleration, obviously, but if you're moving at a really high velocity and you have a decent amount of mass, you're going to Im- Im- you're going to give a lot of force when you hit something.
2: I guess that's correct, as uh, mm-hmm. just regular physics. I was thinking about the uh, proposed space weapons that would have just small regular mass objects moving at relativistic speeds mm. to create like nuclear explosions, right? Type impacts, right? Yeah,
0: just to shoot a peanut real hard, and yeah. Bad times. Yeah, that's kind of like what we
1: were talking about just a second ago, but on steroids. So let's talk about some of the collisions. There was one that happened around 65.5 million years ago, 66 million years ago. Who's counting, really? uh, That created a pretty big crater on the Yucatan Peninsula in um, Mexico. And that's believed to be a major contributor uh, to the mass extinction that killed off the
2: dinosaurs. Yeah, you'll often hear about the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. And it... uh... The the space object that uh, collided there with the Earth, whatever it was, probably does seem to have been a, a, a major factor contributing mm-hmm. to the mass extinction of that time period. But it probably wasn't the only one either. Right.
1: That's why I say contributing factor as opposed to this killed the dinosaurs, because as it turns out, there were a lot of different things at play that – Ha- said the cards were stacked against the dinosaurs. <laughs> I, think the,
2: but, uh, I think the last time I read about this issue, there was the belief that there was a lot of volcanism and mm-hmm. uh, volcanism. Volcanic Volcan- activity. Volcanic activity. Yeah, that yeah you there you say, go. And climate change around the same time.
0: Yeah, uh, Sure. But, you know, a, a multi-megaton event doesn't really help. By megaton I mean megatons of energy right yeah yeah that's that that's not an assistant yeah in that uh, kind yeah. Of situation. that
1: didn't that didn't alleviate the vol- volcanic activity <laughs> right uh so uh, to, to bring it up to a more modern era you know let's 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 skip ahead you know 65 and a half million years or so who's um, counting yeah who's counting up to 1908 that's when we had uh, an event happen that we can actually look at as an example of a relatively small space object colliding with Earth. I'm talking about the Tunguska event.
2: Now, unless you're one of the people who believes this was actually Nikola Tesla testing a secret superweapon... It wasn't. The Tunguska event was a was a space rock. It was a bull-eyed yeah. event from space that was not actually that big.
1: No, it uh, measured around 120 feet wide or 36.6 meters, although there are, i have read other measurements that had it as big as 45 meters which you know that's that's significant, that's significant but, but still sure. still not huge compared to the earth right the earth is enormous something yeah. that's just just you know 36 or 37 meters wide that's nothing
2: 10 yeah. 10 me- difference of 10 meters would make a really big difference when you consider how fast this thing was going
1: yeah super fast and it hit uh in siberia uh in 1908 uh a relatively remote patch where there weren't any people living in that immediate area which is good because if they had been they wouldn't be for much longer uh the the blast stripped the trees of all of their limbs and bark at ground zero so the trees remained standing directly above where the the space rock essentially broke apart when it uh, blasted you mean directly over directly below that's what i meant sorry yeah. directly below I have problems with
2: prepositions. Because uh, because they believe it exploded in the atmosphere, yes, right? Yes,
1: exactly right. They believe it exploded in the atmosphere above this region. So the the trees directly below mm-hmm. the
2: explosion... Turned thank into thank toothpicks. Cho- Turned into toothpicks. The trees around them... Actually, that that's not fair. That makes it sound like they splintered into toothpicks. Nah. They were stripped. They were. Yeah. Uh, the trees around
1: them were all flattened. They all laid down in a radial pattern. So actually, it's like a, they all fell backwards in a circle... Mm-hmm stretching out quite a bit and Uh, like like
0: 80 million trees we're talking
1: million trees over 800 square miles or 777 square kilometers it's that's an enormous
2: amount of space for something that again was relatively small and there were some historical accounts from people who were somewhat nearby at the time oh
1: yeah there was a, a story about a guy who was essentially out on his front porch when this thing happened and the blast, when it moved through, uh, he reported that he he felt a sensation as if all of his skin had caught on fire.
2: How far away was he?
1: Though? Forty miles. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he was not he was not he was not relatively close. He was pretty far away. Um, and so we were lucky that it happened in such a remote area. There were no known deaths as a result of this that that have ever been reported from what I can tell. Uh, So we were lucky. If it had happened over a populated area, that story would obviously be very different. And clearly a larger or more massive, I should say, space object would cause even more devastation should it collide with Earth. And there, here's the thing, there are a lot of them out there in the solar system, right? There are a lot of, of, of space objects that are the size of the Tunguska Rock or bigger, and That was the big concern. That was the thing we were talking about in our previous episode, is that we need to be able to find them, to track them, and if necessary, to somehow stop them from colliding with Earth. Whether that be a method of destroying them, which I think we all agreed eventually probably is the least likely uh, approach, because you're more likely to create a shotgun.
2: Yeah, uh, like sharks stuff. Blow it up! Blow it up! Yeah, Yeah, blowing
1: it up is... (laughs) Probably not a good option, but usually it's how do you move it out of yeah, the way? The smarter
2: mm-hmm. option is to deflect its trajectory.
1: Yeah, right.
0: That way you're you're pretty sure it's not going to hit you.
1: And and also, <laughs> you know, the the further out you can do it, the less you have to move the, the space object. Right. So if the space object is if you detected that this thing is going to collide with the Earth, but it won't be for another 40 years and you can start your your plan right now. You can go ahead and launch a spacecraft to get there in a certain amount of time and deflect it in some manner. And We talked about a lot of those in the last episode. We'll we'll concentrate on a specific approach, the, the gravity tractor in this one. Um, and you don't have to pull it very far. So you don't have to use as much energy in the actual towing event. It still takes a lot of energy to get there, but you don't have to do as much uh, when you're actually towing the object out of the way. You just have to get it off by like a degree and you're good. So... Now it's time to talk about the Little Prince, <laughs> and this is why I chose that particular lyric for the, because he he's the littlest prince. Uh-huh. Um, so we're, the Little Prince is is a. Uh, have you read the Little Prince, Joe? No, I actually have. You haven't? Have you no. read it? Long? I have not either. Oh my gosh, guys! Uh, right, I've, I've, heard, to, I've heard it's a really it's beautiful, beautiful story. You have to well go loved. You mm-hmm. have to go and you have to read it, and then uh, you have to cry. Uh, That kind of is part of the deal. Okay. Um, That's a very sad, sweet story. And generally speaking, I'm going to just give a a, a big overview. The story is told from the point of view of a pilot who has crashed in the Sahara Desert. And he comes across a little boy who says that he's from an asteroid. He lives on an asteroid. And he's had these various adventures going to different uh, asteroids within the solar system and encountering different people before coming to Earth. And, and through his adventures, you, you learn about very common follies and flaws. Things like being so self-absorbed that you never notice anything outside of yourself. Essentially, it was a kind of commentary on the sort of traps adults fall into. But mm-hmm. children tend to be free of because they have their childhood innocence. And it's almost like a warning tale in many ways. Um, in fact, I would argue it's as relevant for adults as it is for kids. So the pilot kind of uh, guesses that the Little Prince's asteroid is one that has specifically been identified and has been named B612. Now, the reason why I give you that whole lead-up is that now there is a private nonprofit organization called the B612 Foundation, and it is dedicated to creating a real solution for possible Earth collisions with space rocks or, or space objects, comets, asteroids, that kind of thing.
0: And, and here, the thing that they're warning against is giant things slamming into Earth at incredible speeds. Yeah.
1: And they're specifically saying, you know, we can't ignore this. We can't fall into the trap that the adults fall in in the novella The Little Prince. We cannot be those people. We have to open our eyes because otherwise, by the time we realize there's a problem, it'll be too late to do anything about it. So we've got to be proactive. And uh they, they hope to avoid catastrophe by adopting new ways to detect and deflect space objects on a collision trajectory, and they got started back in 2002. Now, that was a year after NASA had held its first workshop at the NASA Johnson Space Center dedicated to the concept of asteroid deflection. So 2001, NASA says, you know, we really have to talk about this. And a year later, uh, former astronauts, some astrophysicists, and some other people all got together and created this uh, organization, B612 Foundation. And they get their money for their projects through philanthropy. It's non-profit, so they, they depend upon donations. They actually say one of the most important uh, things that they're doing is they're setting up a new means of funding space work, like that they're doing this through philanthropy, that they're uh, doing this through uh, privatized space to, to use the the uh, rockets from companies like SpaceX. They say, you know, we're doing something that that hasn't been done before uh, in the space industry and we're setting a precedent. And that could be just as important in several ways to the work that we're planning on doing with detecting and perhaps deflecting space rocks. So in 2005, uh, the foundation published a paper about creating a gravity tractor. And we talked about this a bit in our previous episode. So let's give a quick
2: overview. OK, I think this is one of the most interesting proposals on on how to deflect uh, body incoming for Earth. And, and it re- relies on the fact that uh, this is something people often forget about. All objects with mass exert a pull on one another. Yes. So it's not just that the Earth pulls you toward it. You also pull the Earth toward you, just not by enough to matter. <laughs> right. Yeah,
0: not not by very much. And, and gravity is a relatively weak force. Yes, uh, it's
2: the weakest of the the four forces. Mm-hmm.
0: That's why we tend to look at things like astrophysics when we want to talk about it. But
2: yeah. but, but this actually comes through in astrophysics and astronomy a lot. Like one of the ways we can look for stars very far away uh, that have planets orbiting around them is to look and see if the planets orbiting the stars are actually making the stars wobble a little bit. Yeah. Because as much as the the stars pull on the planets, the planets also pull on the star just a little bit. Yeah. So here on Earth, obviously, we don't
1: notice that we happen to be uh, exerting this gravitational pull on the objects around us. The Earth's gravity pretty much... Uh, it drowns all that out, right? yeah so uh, for instance, on the table that's in front of us here in the studio, we have a little box of of tissues. Uh, I don't feel a pull toward that box of tissues that tissue that box of tissues if it could feel would not feel a pull toward me. The earth has pretty much got that down pat. But in space, you can have two bodies, two two bodies of mass having this gravitational effect on one another. and of course, Distance is important, right? The greater the distance, the the less effect they will have on each other. So you want to have uh, things be close to one another right. in order to affect them through gravity.
2: Yeah. Jupiter has a stronger gravitational pull than Earth does, but we're attracted to Earth, not Jupiter, because it's closer.
1: Yeah. So if uh, so, when you think about this, you, you think gravity tractor, it makes sense. You, you create some form of spacecraft that has a great deal of mass to it, or it can get mass in some creative way once it's out in space because obviously the more mass something has the more effort we must make to get it out into space in the first place sure
0: but if we launch like a like a katamari ball and just let it roll up yes a few things into its life then yes it it can yeah
2: or if it were to steal part of the incoming object Yes, yeah,
1: which NASA has a plan about that, and I'll talk about that toward the end. Or maybe we just launch an enormous magnet and just hope it grabs some of that space junk that's orbiting Earth right now. Uh huh. Yeah, you know, or maybe someone else's communication satellites. Not ours, but maybe someone else's. No, but seriously, seriously, to have enough mass so that you move the gravity tractor close to the near Earth object or NEO. Yeah.
2: And then uh, I guess the idea is that the gravity tractor goes into orbit around this object. Yeah,
1: and that that the gravity that it exerts, uh, the gravitational pull it exerts on this object is enough to move it out of that trajectory that it was in and thus move it into a safe zone where it will not – end up colliding with earth
2: so it's kind of like if somebody shot a bullet at you and you could go into bullet time like in the matrix and shoot out a little magnet to follow the bullet along and just throw it off course so that it eventually misses you by the time it gets to where you are
1: yeah and it again the further away the shooter is from you the less you need to move that bullet for that to happen right yeah um same thing here like the further away the the object is the less you need to do the less work you need to do in order to to get it into a safe trajectory uh, and it's it's a pretty clever idea it's not something that we've really put into practice but it's something that that there's no reason why it shouldn't work I mean obviously you'd have to come up with a clever way to make sure that anything you used to move the space rock uh, didn't have another force pushing against it so it, for example you wouldn't want to have thrusters on this spacecraft, uh, shooting in the same direction that the, the rock is in. Cause then you have not just the gravitational force acting upon the two objects, but you have the thrusting force that could act upon the, uh, space rock. And then you're not going to get the effect that you wanted. Uh, I've seen some interesting things where people actually talked about using spacecraft, using solar sails. And so, they would actually use a solar sail to help pull uh, the spacecraft along and tow behind it the uh, the space rock. Oh, so, yeah,
2: that's uh, sort of similar to one idea I remember reading about in the past. I don't know if it's still on the table, but it would be to essentially put a large reflective surface on the sunward facing side mm-hmm. of a moving object. Oh, yeah, sure. That would allow the solar wind over a long period of time to blow it off course. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, there are a couple of other... Uh, Uh, Proposals that are similar to that uh, in various ways. Right. So anyway, the gravity tractor is an important part of uh, the strategy uh, that B612 has come up with. But just as important or perhaps even you could argue more important is coming up with a way to to identify and track uh, more of these large rocks and and other types of uh, space objects that are in the inner solar system.
0: Uh, Because we are working on it, but we're not very far along.
1: Yeah. uh, So according to Ed Liu, who is a former astronaut and he's the CEO of B612, there are around half a million asteroids in the inner solar system that are larger than the space rock that hit Tunguska. And we've identified and mapped about 1% of all of them. Oh, well, good. Yeah. Well, that's
0: that's sure.
1: That means we need to do like a whole lot of homework to get that other 99%. So that's, uh-huh. where, that's what brings us to their Sentinel project. Uh, on June 28, 2012, the foundation announced it would fund the development, construction, and deployment of a new infrared space telescope called Sentinel. And Sentinel will actually orbit the sun. It won't orbit Earth. It will be put in its own orbit around the sun, pretty much in the same orbital path as Venus. More okay. or less. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna shoot it out into space once it's done, uh, and it'll get a little gravity assist slingshot from Venus to put it into its final orbit around the sun, and then it'll position itself so that its rear end is always facing the sun, and that uh, its telescope side is always facing out. Uh, from that the way sun. it's
0: not blinded by the sun. Not blinded by not the blinded light. by the light. Revved mm-hmm. up
1: like a deuce. Another runner in the night. So, uh, yes, exactly. So it's pointing out into space. And the idea being that it could actually map out the entire night sky in this way uh, multiple times because you need to do it just to identify What stuff out there are space rocks, but you also need to do it multiple times in order to figure out where are those going? What are their trajectories?
0: Yeah, where are they moving in comparison to everything else?
2: So what is the idea about uh, why will this be better at looking for small near-Earth objects uh, than whatever kind of telescopes we currently have looking for them?
1: Well, we don't have the problem of atmospheric uh, (laughs) distortion, obviously. Uh, When you have a, a telescope orbiting the Earth... There are going to be times where it cannot look out, outward into the inner solar system. It's going to be looking toward the center of the solar system, which means there's going to be downtime, right? Like there would be times that you would not be able to effectively get information, either because the Earth is in the way, the moon is in the way, or the sun is in the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having it on this other orbital path further into the, the solar system gives the telescope a kind of a wide angle view of what's going on in our solar system. And it can detect teeny tiny. Objects within its field, like a single pixel, might represent a space object. Uh, but because it's using this infrared uh, telescope technology, all it has to do is pick up that reflection to figure out. Ah, oh, well, that's one. Um, so they're actually partnering. This this is really happening. This isn't just a plan. This is actually going forward. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a company Ball Aerospace in Boulder, Colorado. They're designing and building the actual telescope, and they're using the same team of experts that worked on stuff like the Kepler space telescope. Uh, so the projected date of completion is sometime around 2017 or 2018. And uh, they expect to use a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket to launch the telescope into space. So again, relying on private space industry to get there. Um, now, th- every 26 days, uh, the Sentinel will complete four pairs of observations of the night sky. And by kind of making a flipbook almost of these different pictures... Researchers can see where these objects, you know, what are their trajectories? What are their orbits? Are there any that could potentially come into a collision course with Earth? And according to the folks over at the foundation, they'll be able to project pathways as far out as a 100 years. Oh, wow. So that's that's great because if you can, again, I mean, we keep stressing it. If you detect it early, it gives you way more options on how you deal with it. And you don't have to use as much uh, energy to actually move it out of the way in order to get safe again.
2: Um, You know, I guess my fear, though maybe this is just being cynical, is that if we did know enough ahead of time, we would be locked into arguments about who's going to pay for the gravity tractor and nobody would.
1: I would think that you would (laughs) get uh, I, I, I would like to think that that would not happen. If it does happen, I would like to think I would have an opportunity to go to Mars.
0: <laughs> let's let's just kickstart that. Come on. Yeah. We, can, we can put it on. Fun. Let's put
1: it on Indiegogo. That way, oh. if we don't make our goal, we still get to keep some of the money.
0: <laughs> um, so, so that we can go to Mars. Yeah. Right.
1: Exactly. Like We'll just set the goal insanely high. And that way, even if we just get halfway there, we're good. Uh, so uh, this, this telescope is going to send data back through NASA's Deep Space Network. To get back here to Earth, uh, so that's kind of cool too. And they're going to limit that amount of data. Obviously, like if they just kept sending full pictures of the entire night sky over and over, that's a lot of information. Uh,
0: it would be real pretty, but yeah, not not uh, useful necessarily. And, and, and it this takes is a part so that I time. thought, right? Yeah, yeah, so much uh, a lot of computer power and energy sure. wasted there. Uh, and and this is a part that I thought was really cool. Uh, the the computer is going to. No, is it's going to be able to identify moving objects by by seeing where they have moved from one photo to another Mm -hmm. and only send back the photos of the ones that are moving like if if nothing in the frame is moving then the the satellite just tosses it out
1: it makes me think of the old days of film cameras where you would go and get your film developed and you'd sit there you would actually open up your your pictures at the the place where they were developed and go through them to see like oh i'm not i don't need to keep this one like it's only got It's only got a a strand of hair in it. You can't even tell who it belongs to.
0: Blurry, 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 thumbprint blurry.
1: Yeah. So this would be the same sort of thing, except essentially saying, look at this sector that was photographed at this time. Are there any uh, space rocks essentially out there? No, don't bother sending that back then. It's not going to do any good. So uh, I thought that was a very clever way of trying to increase the efficiency of the system. And uh This should really give us a good idea of any potential threats that we face. So that would then prompt us into the discussion of, all right, what do we do about it? Do we do the gravity tractor approach? Which I'm seeing more and more um, support for in actual groups that are planning on doing these things. I see alternatives to the gravity tractor more from, like, think tanks that don't directly... Actually, do Build stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they think really hard, but other than that, they don't really do anything.
2: Think really hard about nuclear weapons. Yeah, so,
0: right,
1: so, right. And Bruce <laughs> and Bruce Willis going up there, and 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 Aerosmith, and all this
0: other okay, stuff. Okay, well, we clone Bruce Willis. This is <laughs> the first step. Uh, no, no. Okay, so so right now we've got about one percent of the sky covered. Right. What what are they hoping to get up to with this plan?
1: So they're hoping to boost that up and map out 90% of the near-Earth objects that measure at least 140 meters in size or greater, uh, and a, quote, large fraction, uh, in other parts of their their literature, they say 50% of asteroids that are bigger than the one that struck Tunguska. Um, and this is where I said there was some differentiation between the, the, the figure I've seen in some reports about the Tunguska event and B612. They say that means around 45 meters which is larger than what I had seen elsewhere, which is 36.6. Uh, this will actually happen over the course of six and a half years. I've, I've heard that there's a possibility the uh, telescope could continue to work for another three and a half years for a full 10-year lifespan, but six and a half is what they have planned. Um, and so the other thing is that we might be able to use this data for stuff besides just deflecting incoming dangerous space objects. We might be able to use it to identify potential good uh, candidates for asteroid mining.
2: Ooh.
1: We've talked about that in previous episodes too. Yeah. So that could be really cool. Now that's not the primary focus of B612. That would just be a happy uh, coincidence or a happy uh, byproduct of this process. Uh, and B612 is not the only one you know, not the only organization out there thinking about this. Obviously, NASA has been thinking about it too. They were the ones who held the workshop back in 2001 that kind of prompted the creation of B612 in the first place.
0: Uh, yeah. And I, th- I think we talked a little bit about their organization in that 2013 episode, mm-hmm. the Near Earth Observation Program.
1: Yeah. So that's specifically dedicated to looking at near-earth objects, as the name would imply. And uh, they initiated something called the Asteroid Grand Challenge, which, and this is a quote from NASA, will use multidisciplinary collaborations in a variety of partnerships with other government agencies, international partners, industry, academia, and citizen scientists to direct, track, characterize, and create mitigation strategies for potentially hazardous asteroids.
2: That sounds like a really boring way to say planetary defense.
1: Yeah. And it's actually under their planetary defense, Uh, uh, like, that's the URL, is, uh-huh. is the planetary defense URL. Uh, and the challenge also has an actual contest. Uh, there, It's called a challenge for a reason. There's a contest involved. So NASA partnered with a crowdsource studio called Tongle to create this. And there are $20,000 worth of prizes. I don't know how they break down. Like, I don't know if there's a first prize, second prize or anything like that. But there's $20,000 worth of prizes. And uh, in order to get your hands on that filthy lucre, what you need to do is create a really awesome video that can, quote, engage and excite the public about getting involved in NASA's mission to find and characterize asteroids. We quote. could do that. I know, <laughs> Joe. We can do that.
0: It's like we have a whole studio set up there just is to do that.
1: literally a studio 15 feet from where we're sitting where we can do that. Oh, maybe we should try to get in on that. I was, you know, that's what I'm saying. Uh, so uh, NASA's also working on an asteroid Redirect Mission, or ARM, A-R-M, in which a robot will deflect an asteroid from its trajectory and place it in a stable orbit around the moon.
2: I think we've talked about this before.
1: Yeah. And this was going back to what you had mentioned earlier, Joe, the idea of stealing something from the uh, the target object in order to create greater mass yeah. and thus uh, affect it more. This is what the robot would do. It would end up piloting to some near-Earth object— capturing a multi-ton boulder from said object thus increasing the spacecraft or the robot I guess the robot's mass and then using that mass as a gravity tractor to tow it over into a lunar orbit and then the reason we want it in a lunar orbit is eventually NASA would want to send astronauts up there to explore it take samples bring it back to earth uh, the samples, not the asteroid, that would remain in lunar orbit. <laughs> yeah, that,
0: that would have that would evade the purpose of making yeah. things not yeah. hit our right? planet.
2: Like, hey guys, look what <laughs> look what followed me home. Can we keep it? Uh, no, <laughs> oh, it, man, uh, no. That would be kind of cool if the moon had a moon. Yeah, yeah, uh, a it, moon for the moon, the and we could watch moon? it. We could watch it transit the moon at oh, night yeah. during a full moon. Oh, yeah. it'd be so pretty.
1: And then, like, just a you know a few millennia later, the moon invents Pink Floyd again. Oh, so at any rate, um. Uh, The idea being that we'd send astronauts up there somewhere in the 2030s. I mean, this is a very aggressive plan NASA has. And it's part of, of course, their long-term plan to get humans to Mars. The idea being that the technologies and processes we would have to develop in order to make this happen, in order to be able to capture an asteroid and to move it into an orbit and to visit it and, and essentially do a light mining project and bring stuff back... All of that would require us to develop technologies that we could then use for a trip to Mars. So almost everything we hear about NASA doing these days ends up at least in some way contributing to a future Martian, you know, uh, exploration mission.
2: Yeah. It would also require us to develop all the other technologies that you find in Total Recall.
1: Yeah. Now we have to have
2: all of those. Yeah. We
1: have to have the the robotic cabs that actually have a robot sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah, that chit-chats. Yeah, because why would you ever want to have a driverless (laughs) car that actually allows you to sit in any seat in the vehicle? You have to have one seat occupied by a needless machine.
2: I think the uh, the, the fake talking lady head that Arnold Schwarzenegger wears over his real head right. that says two weeks. Yeah. That's a pretty good one. And
1: then just splits apart. And, yeah. Or what about uh, uh, sinus cavity probes, obviously? Oh, that's a
2: great one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Lots of lots of twenty things. to forty years. Twenty to forty years. Actually, no, just about two <laughs> weeks. <laughs> well, the interesting thing again is that NASA is hoping to do this sort of mission. Like in the twenty twenties, they hope to use a gravity tractor to capture an asteroid. In the twenty thirties, they hope to send astronauts to that asteroid. So it's a pretty aggressive schedule. I'm I am. Maybe skeptical's the wrong word. I'm not entirely certain that they're going to be able to make that based upon where we are today, but it, it, it could happen. It just will require a fairly aggressive investment in space exploration for that to work out, I think. But it would be really cool. And, of course, if NASA is able to demonstrate that it can move an asteroid in that manner, then that is a big win when it comes to you know, figuring out how to deflect incoming space objects. So really cool. Glad we were able to look into this again. Glad I was able to educate you about The Little Prince. Make sure you go and read that because it is amazing.
0: I will do. Um,
1: Very sad that the American release of the film version has been delayed. Makes me want to take a quick trip up to Canada to see it. Uh, But it is coming out. So there is also a film version of The Little Prince coming out. So if you can't stand reading, go watch the movie. All right. That wraps this up. If you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Forward Thinking, maybe you've always wanted to know how X will work in the future, you let us know and we will research it and tell you. But in order to do that, you gotta send us the message first. Our email is FWThinking at HowStuffWorks.com or drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook. At Twitter, we are FWThinking. Facebook, you can just search FW Thinking and that search bar will pop right up and you can leave us a message there. And we will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.
2: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
0: Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the
2: ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
0: Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health.